Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein. I'm a father. I have a father. I don't speak to him. We'll talk about it later. Anyway, I'm flying solo today because Krishna had a childcare emergency. His wife had to work late and he had to pick up the kid, yada, yada, yada. It's fine. That's what being a dad is like sometimes. You know what else what being a dad is like sometimes? It's like having a holiday like Thanksgiving you used to love as a kid because turkey and yams and stuffing and football and naps and fun uncles. And then realizing later in life it was all a terrible lie. And then you're left with two kids home from school with a binder full of hand turkeys and no idea what the fuck to do on the third Thursday of November. So I'm going to talk to people who know. We're going to hear from one of the coolest historians of one of the best podcasts, Tracy Wilson of the podcast Stuff You Missed in History Class. She's going to shed some light on the real history of Thanksgiving and how to talk about it with kids. The colonists' relationship with the Wampanoag did not stay friendly Forever. Later, we'll hear from David Whedon, a member of the Moshpee Wampanoag tribe up in Massachusetts on Cape Cod and a son of a Native American civil rights activist. He'll talk about how he raised his kids and how they're raising theirs. My ancestors' struggles are my struggles, and hopefully they won't be my children and grandchildren's struggles, I hope. But first, here's Tracy. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm so curious from your take. I mean, you do this day in, day out. Your take, how you see Thanksgiving and how you think it's appropriate to celebrate it. And if you have any bead on it, what was it? I mean, what's the delta between what we're taught and what actually went down? No, yeah. I So... Thanksgiving is a tough one because what we have now as a holiday today was very carefully crafted to sort of represent an idea of the United States. So what we know in terms of the actual historical event is that, yes, there really was a sort of harvest celebration feast in 1621, and that followed the arrival of the, uh, the, not just the pilgrims, they didn't think of themselves as pilgrims. And there were other people on the Mayflower who were not religiously persecuted in any way. Uh, they had arrived in North America. They had a very difficult first winter. And then they were having a very typical harvest feast after the first harvest that they brought in. The same kind of harvest feast that people have been having all over the world, really for millennia. Among and themselves. Yeah, the among settlers, themselves. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, these these folks had started this little colony. They were having this feast. They were, they were also hunting fowl. So they were out hunting birds for this feast, which was causing a lot of gunfire. Also probably so, not turkey or turkey. Almost certainly not turkey. Uh, probably more like... <laughs> <laughs> probably more like pheasant. Some other birds yeah. um and the what what prompted the wampanoag to come over isn't really documented anywhere but a pretty logical conclusion is that they heard all this gunfire and they thought that the plymouth colonists were under attack and at that point they had a relatively good relationship so they came over with a fighting force of about 90 men 
thinking that assistance was needed. Um, like, like I said, there's some conjecture there, but that's a pretty logical conclusion. And what they found was instead this feast going on, at which point they were invited to join in. So there wasn't really a, an invitation extended ahead of time. Right. They came out to help and, and were asked to join in. And of course, with suddenly 90 additional people at the table, that's not enough food <laughs> that was already prepared. Um, so they went out and hunted some deer, came back with lots of venison. And so the dinner that was served at that point, it became this feast that went on for about three days. And there was a lot of venison, probably a lot of corn, um, not a lot of things that we think of typically in terms of things like turkey and yams. A yes. lot of those are later additions. Yes, so, hence the traditional uh, venison deer carcass carving at the family table. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> for three but days. It's, it's funny that my dad, when I was a child, uh, Thanksgiving weekend was the weekend that he and the other men folk in the family all went out to hunt deer. Although, where was uh, I? They this I grew up in North Carolina, but they were actually doing this in the sort of southern Virginia foothills. I mean, um, strangely, that was historically accurate. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And uh, also historically accurate was that there were definitely harvest feasts happening in Virginia before this one that ever happened in uh, in Massachusetts. So, yeah, a, a couple of important things to keep in mind. One is that the colonists relationship with the Wampanoag did not stay friendly forever. It, it became adversarial and there was a like the colonists committed a massacre. It became really ugly. Right. So there's that piece of the history. So they had this three day. Hey, what's going on? Oh, dinner. Yeah. Yeah. We'll stay for three days. That's cool. Um, they had that interaction. Was it mm -hmm. immediately holidified? Holidified? Oh, no. No. Yeah. This was just sort of like the kind of harvest feast that happened everywhere all over right. the world in a general sense of, okay, we've had a bountiful harvest and it's going to carry us through the winter. Let's celebrate for a little bit before it starts to get really cold. Right. Um, and, you know, Native people in North America had had similar uh, events um, when either, you know, uh, after a hunt, after a harvest, after gathering, you know, that that had been a part of lots of cultures. It was a part of lots of cultures in Europe and Africa, basically everywhere. Any, so any, this, anywhere there's seasons. Yeah, anywhere with seasons and some kind of either seasonal hunts or seasonal yeah. harvests or seasonal gatherings, like a super common thing to have happen. Um it started to become a more official idea of having a, a holiday devoted to giving thanks uh, in in North America. The first time in uh, in the United States was something that was proclaimed uh, by the Continental Congress in 1777. So you know that's very early in in this particular history. But it wasn't really until after the Civil War that the idea of having a an ongoing regular annual Thanksgiving feast became an established thing. And a lot of that was because the Civil War was terrible and it had torn the country literally in half. Um, Lincoln's original proclamation was sort of giving thanks for a series of successful battles, but it morphed into this idea of giving thanks as a nation and to support this whole idea of like coming together and peace and sharing and freedom and all of that, people sort of glommed onto this one specific 1621 meal 
between the the Plymouth colonists and the Wampanoag to sort of make that be the emblematic thing. So it wasn't the first feast like that had, that had ever happened in North America. It wasn't a thing that immediately became an annual observance in that way. The relationships between the, the colonists and the Wampanoag became so hostile and devastating. And so in the process of trying to create this national holiday that was supposed to give people a sense of the country as this like unified, freedom-loving place, the story that was selected to back that up has this whole other layer of genocide and Yeah, racism. so by 1861 had the, I mean, c- clearly there had been battles and warfare and genocide. At that moment, was the genocide sort of largely completed in a way? Like were the Mashpee uh, people or, you know, were they already, um, their lands taken from them and their culture, you know, pretty much eradicated? Um, not, not, I mean, there are still, uh, there are still, uh, Wampanoag people in Massachusetts today. To just, um, go back a little bit. I think one of the, um, on a maybe lighter note, one of the more ironic things is if Lincoln created Thanksgiving so we can all get along around a dinner table. I mean, that's not how things panned out. I feel like no. as part of fatherly, we write a whole bunch of advice articles. And when it comes to Thanksgiving, like 95% of our articles are, are how to deal with your relatives at a Thanksgiving, you know, feast or, or how to make yeah. up after a terribly toxic fight with your relatives. And like, that is the meme. Now. That's what everyone, um, I mean, I, I feel like everyone approaches Thanksgiving with dread of like, how much am I going to talk politics at the table versus how much am I not going to talk politics at the table? And I feel like part of that transition as well is how the family has evolved, especially the American family, to the point that Thanksgiving for a lot of people, I know certainly for me, is like the one time or the one out of two times the a year that I have my family gathered. So it's not exactly like comfortable. It's not yeah, exactly we- like unifying. Yeah, uh, because I live um, really pretty far from my uh, my my parents, um, and then my parents' siblings and my cousins and all of that. What I usually have been doing since moving to Massachusetts is that we alternate, and one year we go for Christmas, and the next year we go for Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and then Thanksgiving, back and forth. And that means that like these are a lot of folks that I am only seeing usually once every two years, approximately. And over the last couple of years, people maybe I don't want to talk to about anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, we uh, have had sometimes excuses made to avoid things. Um, this this year we are coming down for a slightly different family gathering. But yeah, it can be super stressful. Um, and totally, I mean, and knowing Lincoln's, I mean, knowing, knowing Lincoln's use or misuse of history and why he did that, he did it to bring families together around the dinner table. Uh, I mean, like he's zero for one in terms of properly interpreting history and he's zero for one for the stated outcome of this made up holiday. Yeah. Lincoln, none of it has really Lincoln, worked out well. The kernel of whatever that event was has been much more has been manhandled and manipulated to serve the ends of uh, a healing a nation that needed healing but yeah in lincoln's time when did it start if you know when did it start this pretty um aggressively 
capitalist, consumerist, um, I don't know, late stage, end stage. Oh, I mean, that's... The terminal stage uh, of Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could answer that one as well off the top of my head. It, it um, comes too because, close to because, the present. Yeah. I mean, my like my family has been having a, a giant excessive meal for as long as I can remember. And, you know, my parents talked about it going back as far as they can remember. And we have family stories about, you know, great grandparents and, and their recipes for making the peach cobbler or whatever. Maybe not peach cobbler. That would be more of a summer thing, but um, like making, making the persimmon pudding. That's yeah. the thing that we have. Um, and like, we're at this point now where, uh, in in my family, the women who always make the persimmon pudding are aging now and have the younger people learned how to make it? Don't really know. So um, it's definitely been established for the better part of a century as this like very large, um, way more food than a you person need. can. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe not a century because that would go back into the Great Depression. But after the Great Depression, after World War II... Yeah. Um, you know, as, as people are moving to the suburbs and having, uh, bigger kitchens and all of that. So the rise of the automobile. Yeah. And the road trip, um, for Thanksgiving to see people you don't, don't want to necessarily <laughs> want to see. Yeah. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors. The way I would look at Thanksgiving is it's like some sort of toxic but at times delicious gobstopper. It's like at the kernel, you probably have a good moment. Mm -hmm. The settlers were in need and uh, the Native Americans came to help them. Okay, so maybe that three days was a good three days. Everyone can agree on that. I don't want to discount that tradition. I want to create traditions within my own family where we can pass down recipes, where we all gather, where we, you know, have something to, to, it's almost like we need an excuse to come together. And this is a great excuse to do it. As someone who has examined history as much as you have, what's your take? Like, can you grab from the ashes of exploitation some nugget of... I don't know, yeah, virtue? I, I think it would be really hard to kind of walk back Thanksgiving as we have it to become a holiday that doesn't have so much baggage attached to it in terms of the all the racism and genocide and, uh, and extravagance and sort of waste, like food waste that's a celebratory food waste sometimes, because I don't think I know anyone who manages to eat literally every scrap of their yeah. Thanksgiving. I mean, that shit's almost pagan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like We're going <laughs> to sacrifice this uneaten turkey at the altar of the god of Dionysus or the gods of, you know, Bacchus or whatever. Yeah. I, I feel like even if um, in the in the post Civil War years, some other story had been glommed onto that didn't have so much baggage culturally associated with it. I think we probably still would end up today with like the the very consumer oriented aspects of Thanksgiving and Black Friday and lining up at the 
mall the day after Thanksgiving at four o'clock in the morning to try I mean, to get two for one sweaters or whatever. Watching the videos of people crushed in front of automatic doors, it is end times. I mean, like I <laughs> maybe beyond the scope, but I feel like reading like the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and then going on YouTube and seeing people being crushed by the promise of a cheap microwave. I can see that in the future, these are the things that will be written about our society. Yeah, it's uh, it's all very bizarre to me, uh, that aspect of it, especially like I feel almost like uh, I, I got used to the idea of Thanksgiving as a gigantic meal that had a whole lot of leftovers and uh, and cost a lot of money to actually put on the table. I got used to that idea and just sort of started to take it for granted long before I thought, oh, that's actually, that's got some problems. Yeah. But the idea of um, getting up at an incredibly early hour to go fight crowds and shop the day after, that seemed ridiculous to me from the beginning. When did you have the moment of realization about Thanksgiving? Oh, I don't know. I think probably by the time I was in college um, and was because I mean I grew up in in North Carolina in a relatively traditional conservative family, and then in college being exposed to more points of view and learning more to deeply read things basically because I I studied literature, um, and to sort of closely examine what is going on probably in that window. Um, it may also have been the time that when I was in a, in my late teens, we got home from from Thanksgiving, having had Thanksgiving dinner, and it was about seven o'clock in the evening. And I said I was hungry, and my mom got so mad at me. She was like, <laughs> "How can you possibly be hungry? We ate all of that." And I was like, "Because I didn't eat until I hurt." <laughs> yeah, I I'm done digesting that food. It's time for another normally sized meal. Um. So when so you don't have uh kids yet. No, that is not in the plan for me. But I do know parents. Oh wait, sorry. Let me taken... let me just call myself out. I'm sorry that I said that. You don't have kids. I don't know why I, I said that. I don't yet. have kids. Yeah, I'm sorry. You uh, don't have kids. I don't. I don't. Uh, but I do know a number of very thoughtful parents who uh, have been trying to raise their kids to like be aware of of the messages that are around them in the world and and trying to raise them to be like actively anti-racist people and one thing uh that I have seen my friends do that I I as an outside observer has I've really appreciated is um f- either finding out from the school what is planned for the Thanksgiving celebration at school mm-hmm. um or really talking carefully to their kids about what that celebration is like after it has actually happened so as as one example i have a friend whose daughter was uh, going to preschool and she asked ahead of time, hey, what's Thanksgiving going to be like for the preschool? And she learned that they were going to all dress up as pilgrims and Indians. And so she had the opportunity to educate the school about how um, Native American is not a costume, like right. you shouldn't treat a, a person as a costume. Um And to talk to them about some ideas that, that they could celebrate Thanksgiving without having that kind of baggage associated um, with it. I think to me, the way that I'm going to approach it is to divide it between an autumn harvest, like a like you were talking about, uh, sorry, a 
divided between a harvest festival, which, as you mentioned, predates, obviously predates 1621 and has been around since there has been agriculture and, you know, even before then, I'm sure. And then Mm -hmm. the secondary conversation, in a way that I hope is appropriate and relatable to them, is it's a great opportunity to talk about how how stories are used and how history is used and how the past is used. Like there's no, one of the, one of the opportunities a holiday as insidious as Thanksgiving gives us is that opportunity to have the conversation. Now, am I going to tell my like six year old that, that what am I going to tell my six-year-old? What would you say? What would you say to a six-year-old about how history can be used? That's a great question. Because I, I I, think that that is a, probably a more age-appropriate conversation to have with a six-year-old than like attempting to explain genocide to a six-year-old. Right. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, you can say, okay, here's the story of Thanksgiving. What kind of things does this make you think about? Um how does it make you feel to hear this story about Thanksgiving? You mean the fake story or the real story? Well, like the fake story. Hey, yeah. this is the story that we tell ourselves about Thanksgiving. How does the story make you feel? Um, and and then you can sort of talk about uh, things like myths and stories and how they aren't always totally connected to reality. Right. Cool. Well, Tracy, thank you for joining us. Um, me, just me. God, that feels well, lonely. But what are you going to do? Th- <laughs> Thank you for having me. And I guess I don't even know what to say. I'm not going to say happy Thanksgiving. I guess I'll say have an enjoyable harvest festival. Oh, thank you. You too. Okay. Talk to you later. That was Tracy Wilson of the podcast Stuff You Missed in History Class. Next, I'm going to talk to David Whedon of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe of Massachusetts. The Wampanoag were present in 1621 for the original Thanksgiving, so David has a unique viewpoint on the whole myth. Now he's a tribal historian and a father himself, and I want to know how he celebrates or doesn't celebrate the holiday. But first, a brief word from our sponsors. Hey, David, this is Joshua David Stein from the Fatherly Podcast. David, thank you so much for talking with us today. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. I'd love to talk to you about, as a Native American, as a member of the specific uh, nation that is involved in the myth of Thanksgiving, how you view the holiday and how you observe it or don't observe it. Well, there's a bit of mixed feelings on the holiday uh, as it is now. The holiday to me and what I've te- taught to my children is that the there's a lot of misconceptions associated with the ho- holiday, and typically uh, Native Americans, as Native Americans, we give thanks throughout the year. It's not uh, it's been construed to uh, suggest that there was one day where we all came together and feasted and, you know, uh, kind of a kumbaya moment with the pilgrims, but, uh, that, yeah. that, that's not exactly how our, th- our, our way of giving thanks, uh, exists then or now, uh, we give thanks 
periodically throughout the year for a variety of reasons. Um, there's a lot to be thankful for, uh, especially here in the Northeast, where there's an abundance of uh, resources that the Creator has provided to sustain our life for thousands of years. Uh, uh, oral history tells us that we've been here for um, you know thousands and thousands of years. So we give thanks for the various seasons that apply to our harvest periods, uh, growing seasons, uh, moon cycles. Just so, just for general context, um, in 1621, what was the territory of the Mashpee Wampanoag people? Mashpee Wampanoag territory extended from the Merrimack, the Merrimack River to the north, uh, west west to the uh, Blackstone River, uh, and then south to the uh, Narragansett Bay um, and then surrounding Cape Cod, Massachusetts Bay. Um, So all the southeastern Massachusetts and southeast Rhode Island, Bristol County, Rhode Island. We did adopt Christianity early on. 1865, I believe, we built the uh, old Indian meeting house, but we were living in wigwams uh, right up until the early 1900s. And all over that time, we've been fighting for, you know, back and forth with uh, uh, the King of England. We lobbied to uh, govern ourselves um, in the uh, later on um, in the 1800s. Uh, we lobbied uh, to self-govern uh, with the uh, Mass General Court um, to overthrow. We, we didn't like the overseers uh, that were appointed to kind of... Uh, conduct tribal affairs overall like to me from the outside one of the problem one of the most problematic aspects of thanksgiving the way that we celebrated is that it was this yeah it was this loving um moment of harmony between the settlers and the native americans and you know and in traditional parlance they call you know in my kids schools for instance they call them indians um and it totally brushes over any sort of mention of genocide or any sort of mention of the oppression of those peoples. For you on Thursday with your family, do you address that aspect at all? Or is, do you focus more on the, the underpinnings of what Thanksgiving was in terms of harvest and seasonality and that kind of thing? It's dependent, you know, it's all relative to the age of the children. So, um, you know, early on, we just uh, teach them to that, you know, uh, that day is not the only day we give thanks. We give the, the initial uh, teachings are that, you know, we, we give thanks throughout the year. As they get older, then you start to um, educate them a little more, um, whether it's at Thanksgiving or otherwise, um about some of the injustices that were done and explain to them so that when they go to school, they can correct the teachers if they are um, perpetuating, you know, the misconceptions. What would you have them say? It depends on what's being taught in the school systems. Some, some, some school systems are worse than others. Uh, nowadays, there are some teachers that actually uh, teach the truth and speak of the genocide and all the injustice that uh, took place. Uh, history doesn't always have to be his story. We teach them to speak speak up for themselves. And, uh, you know, if, if the teacher is perpetuating misconceptions, then, you know, it's okay to correct them. As a dad, how do you teach about these 
historical and present-day injustices of a people, human beings, without creating kids who carry so much rage about what has happened? Uh, yeah, that's a difficult one. Um, but myself, uh, my parents educated me. They were very much uh, involved with the civil rights uh, that the Native Americans were fighting for in the 70s and uh, later in the, you know, in the 80s as, as a young uh, person. My parents were very involved. Uh, they always educated us and then brought us along to a lot of the events, um, you know, hearing the the speeches and the rallies and things, you know, I grew up in an environment where, you know, you, you got to stand up for your rights, but, um, it didn't grow. I didn't grow up to hate people. Um, my parents just wanted me to be aware and, um, be well informed. Uh, they didn't teach hate within the household. That's not what we do. Um, we just uh, want to make sure that, you know, the truth is being told. And, uh, you know, we try to judge everyone on their own merit as individuals um, and how they treat us back. And also, you are very heavily um, invested as well and active in sort of maintaining and preserving and keeping alive the traditional aspects of the, of the tribe, of the nation. I, I was raised, in, as I said, in the traditional household. My parents, you know... Um, taught us traditional means of uh, praying and, and, you know, communicating with creator and ancestors and such, and, you know, dancing and singing and uh, participating in powwow has always been a part of our, my life. Uh, as a young child, I raised my children to do the same. Uh, now they're raising their children to participate in those types of events as well. And, you know, there is a ceremonial aspect to powwow, um, that we all enjoy and, you know, it kind of feeds the spirits and, uh, helps, helps us to deal with, uh, everyday life. Uh, just even if it's just the, the camaraderie of, um, being around other natives for that, you know, over the course of the weekend and being able to, um, dance, uh, alongside one another in the circle and listen to traditional music and drums and such. Um, you, you need to recharge your, your spirit, uh, from time to time uh, with those celebrations. Um, so, you know, you can continue on fighting. Um, every day we face uh, injustices uh, still going on now, um, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. Uh, you know, Native Americans and indigenous people are constantly being challenged, uh, whether it's in regards to sovereignty, um, like Mashpee Wampanoag tribe is currently uh, facing, um, you know, we're str struggling to keep our land into trust. Um, the government, um, in the first time in history since the termination era, is actually trying to uh, take our land out of trust. Um, it's unprecedented. Currently, there is a legislation before Congress, uh, H.R. 5244, that uh, we're advocating uh, Congress to do the right thing and to reaffirm our, our land and to trust um, as one of the tribes that, you know, belong to the uh, Wampanoag Nation, uh, Wampanoag Nation encompassing, you know, the, the natives uh, of the region that, uh, you know, we, we weren't the tribe that met the pilgrims, but we are um, all relative to the same nation, the Wampanoag people. 
I mean, that to me, to watch the rhetoric of politicians extolling the, you know, the gratitude and, you know, performing Thanksgiving and knowing that they're at the same time trying to take your lands out of trust, that's infuriating for me. I'm just an outsider. I'm just, you know, hearing about it for the first time. I can't imagine the the heaviness that you must carry seeing that. Yeah, as I said, you know, before, you know, this isn't the first time we've been up against this fight. My ancestors' struggles are my struggles, and hopefully they won't be my children and grandchildren's struggles. I hope that this will come to a positive resolve. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, do, we live in a very affluent uh, area, uh, region, part of the country here on Cape Cod. And, you know, the whole fight for land and to trust it's so that to ensure that our children have a place to call home after being here uh, for thousands of years there is a potential uh, that we won't have land to call home Um, land here real estate on Cape Cod is very high the cost of living and taxes and such um, is a constant uh, driving force to push our young uh, family members away. Uh, they can't afford to live here based on the current um, cost of living and taxes and such. What would you like to see happen on the day that we observe as Thanksgiving? Do you think there's an opportunity there nationwide for us to have a bit more of a reckoning than what we've had so far? My dad advocated for civil rights and belonged to a lot of different groups and movements uh, over the years as a child. And one of the things that uh, he was instrumental in uh, initiating was the National Day of Mourning uh, that's held in Plymouth. Um, That's uh, held every year um, since 1973 that uh, they, they meet and they actually... Uh, have a rally for pretty much what we're talking about to, to, to you know, um, break down those barriers and stop perpetuating the myth of Thanksgiving. And, you know, that that's something that, uh, you know, we go to sometimes uh, and, and, and participate in. Um, and then we go home and eat the turkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, this is probably my responsibility and not your responsibility, but what would you prefer people say as opposed to Happy Thanksgiving? Yeah, I, I never really <laughs> given that one much thought. Um, you know, National Day of Mourning is is uh, often used. That's a, a term that's been coined and uh, has been around since, like I said, 1973. Uh, Although Happy National Day of Mourning doesn't sound good either. No, it <laughs> doesn't. Well, David, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us, to share your experience, and to share how you're passing on the truth to your children. And I know on this uh, Thursday, on Thanksgiving, I'll be trying to teach the truth to my children too. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your help, and uh, thank you for um, asking me to be on your program. Okay, episode two, In the Can. Kind of a bummer, but a much-needed one. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein. Being a dad is confusing and weird, in case you haven't noticed. If you have questions, I have answers. And if I don't have answers, I know someone who might. Give us a call on the 
am I fucking this up? Hotline. 732-416-4571. And if you like what you heard, subscribe to the Fatherly Podcast on iHeartRadio. This podcast was produced by Max Savage Levinson and engineered by Diko Shatorma at Atlantic Sound Studio. See you next time for a chat with Amy Westervelt, author of Forget Having It All, How America Messed Up Motherhood and How to Fix It. Turns out, dads have a part to play. Thanks. See you next time.